Tyler, how are you, man? I'm alive. <laughs> I'm alive. We are both. We're doing a kind of a quarantine podcast. Uh, I don't know when this episode will be released exactly, but I'm currently home. It's supposed to be a shot show with the XO crew, but I test positive for COVID. Uh, and you're not feeling too hot yourself. And we were texting is like, hey, we're both homesick. Let's hop on a podcast. So that's what we're doing. That's how we're here. <laughs> that's how we're here. Uh, I don't know that I've said outright on the podcast, but you're going on a mountain goat hunt with me, man. Oh yeah. You're breaking the, breaking the ice. Breaking I like the it. ice. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be talking, talking to Tyler more this year, but planning this hunt, executing this hunt. But honestly, this, uh, we'll tell more of the backstory later, but that was part of what pushed me over the edge is knowing that, oh shoot, I could hunt with Tyler this year. Cause you're going to be, uh, guiding up there with the outfitter. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about that backstory and get Mark the outfitter on here and talk about that. But man, I'm pumped to have the opportunity to hunt mountain goats, but especially excited that we get to do it together, dude. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a cool place to go too. Yeah. It's going to be a great place. So I can get completely derailed and only talk about that, which we will do, but that's a different episode for a different day. Um, <laughs> There was a couple questions that came up from listeners uh, that when I read them, I didn't uh, have a ton of experience with and thought, ah, Tyler could talk about that a bit. Uh, And the first one to get into it was a guy who's going on his very first archery elk hunt this coming fall, already has the tag and he's planning uh, and it's in Grizz country. And that's new to him. Archery elk hunting is new to him. He's going solo. Like there's so many variables in here where I don't want to say he's necessarily buying off more than he can chew, but he's definitely uh, not doing the easiest hunt right out of the gate here. So um, I won't read his full question, but to like pull out some highlights, he's talking about understanding and he's been researching when grizzly counters tend to happen with hunters And that could be a camp. It could be like a calling scenario where he's cow calling and calls in a bear. And then obviously if he kills an elk, uh, you know, elk down, he's field dressing another potential time where bears could be attracted to that kill. And so he's talking about, you know, he's fine with keeping a clean camp with keeping alert while calling elk. Um, But his biggest concern is that, field dressing scenario, especially since he's going to be solo, especially since he's a newer hunter, he's anticipating it takes a while, et cetera, et cetera. So he's asking, putting yourself in my shoes, how would you approach this situation in this hunt? Any particular tips, tactics, steps that you would take? And then I thought this was a really good question. How does a guy mentally and physically focus on the hunt without being too distracted? uh with the bears so obviously you need to be aware of the bears but you can't let it you know ruin your hunt if you will right so i have not hunted elk in grizzly country i've hunted in grizzly country in alaska but not hunted elk in the lower 48 in grizzly country and i know that you have not only for elk but for other species so i wanted you to kind of weigh on on this topic on these questions and feel free to start that wherever you want with the first thoughts that come to mind tyler yeah, there's a lot there. I guess um, the first first part um, for me, 
you know, as I'm listening to you say that is kind of like having that mental, like some guys like Steve, they just don't acknowledge the bear almost like, ah, it's not a threat, whatever. Right. Like, <clears throat> and I'm not saying that's entirely accurate, but like I have friends that go into very, very thick grizzly country and just go, ah, it's not a thing. And just kind of write it off in the back of their head. And then I have other friends that, you know, stay up at night, you know, don't call on certain situations because they're, you know, they're worried about it. I think finding that happy medium, like going into it um, where you're mentally confident to be in that country and handle yourself in a situation. So going back to whatever training and having, you know, for me, it's, it's carrying a sidearm. Like I've just heard, you know, I, I used to carry bear spray. Like I would go to Kodiak Island with just bear spray and kind of laugh about it. I used to probably be in that camp a little bit, um, you know, but there's definitely cases, especially here in Montana and, and Wyoming that, you know, there's just more likely to get into that aggressive bear. That's not maybe as afraid as some, of uh, you know, some of those Alaskan, especially them coastal bears, you know, they're pretty well fed on salmon and stuff. And they just don't have that, you know, abrasiveness that some of the bears seem to have down here you know they run into humans enough to kind of get conditioned to it and then you know it's the wrong day and um i always kind of think of my one of my favorite western authors um louis lamore he uh he kind of talks about like you, there's just always that one bear that's you know has a bad attitude just like the one guy at the bar has mm-hmm. a bad attitude and so like they're not all bad right like that's probably from a mentality standpoint so i'm just trying to kind of wrap that part up is acknowledge that not all the bears are just out to get you there's not a bear behind every single tree but at the same time like be confident in your abilities to be out there like train and at the end of the day like you just have to kind of put it away and whatever that means for you like knowing that you have a clean camp you know that's a big thing and then just you know being prepared in that that given situation but not like overly thinking about it to where you walk out of that country um, because the, the odds are still very low, even though there is, you know, increasing encounters every year and it's only going to get, you know, worse, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess going back to like being prepared. So having that sidearm training with it, whatever that means for you, or if it's bear spray, you know, I know there's, there's people that I've, big time advocates of the bear spray for a lot of reasons. Um, and they have their place. So just find what works for you, I guess, in that regard, like what you feel comfortable with and, um, go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the, like, just getting out there and doing it, like there's so much to be said about keeping a clean camp and not leaving crap everywhere. I get so frustrated when I go into grizzly country and whether it be backpackers or hunter hikers, this year I picked up peak refuel bags that had food and jet boil cans and all kinds of stuff left on the mountain. And that's the stuff that gets people killed. I think, you know, getting these bears conditioned where they like that stuff. They want that salty food where they know you have it. They can smell it. You know, obviously I hang it and keep it away from, you know, at least a hundred or so yards away from camp. But, you know, I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors if we're, we're doing stuff like that. And, that's a whole other side tangent I was yeah. talking about with some guys, but yeah, biggest thing. Yeah. Keeping a clean camp there and, and uh, just hunting hard, not, not overthinking things. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think he's right? And because he mentioned the three things, one encounters at camp, uh, two encounters in a calling scenario or three encounters after a kill, um, while you're breaking down an elk, do you feel that those are, are the, like the three likely scenarios? Cause obviously you come up on a, oh. you could say a quote unquote fourth is just flat out bumping into one, right? Like the, uh, that I, I element think- of surprise that gets dangerous where you catch a bear and he didn't wind you or something prior. Yeah. I think that's probably more likely one of all of them. And, you know, it's bumping him on the trail mm-hmm. uh, for them to come in camp. I mean, mm, like Steve and I had one come up the drainage on our Alaskan hunt and come right up to us as we we're starting to fire. But, you know, then he kind of boogered out, you know, after we hollered at him and had our guns out. But um, I don't think that's like maybe a super common thing. I know you know, and I don't know how much time I've spent on this. There was a guy, a guide that was killed a couple years back while he was working on a client's elk. And, um, so that is definitely a thing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. something, um, you know, I wouldn't put my, my weapon or whatever, 10 feet away from me. And, and, you know, yeah, you want to work on the elk and you want to break it down and be efficient, but at the same time, trying to keep your head on swivel. And in that guy's case, like I've read the report on it, like, that sow and the cub came from downwind like they smelled the elk and they smelled the hunter like that bear was probably just going to be a problem bear and Mm -hmm. again going back to that you know one percent or whatever it is they're you know they're not all like that so i don't know just it is nice like having somebody there for that part like i mean whatever like if it's going to stop you like then maybe just have somebody, you know, if that's going to be the thing that you get in that country and then you get so spun up about the fact that a bear could walk in on you, then, you know, figure it out, get somebody out there with you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think one of the hardest mental pieces of the whole scenario is kind of the at camp at night, not because that's when your greatest likelihood of the encounters going to happen. That's just when you're not as physically mentally active and engaged right so you're hunting all day and you're hunting and yes you're alert you're you know keeping an eye out for bears but at the same time your focus is on other things your focus is on reading sign and locating elk or maybe calling elk what have you it's obviously when a guy gets to the end of the day and especially on a solo hunt like this you know sun goes down dark have your meal now you're nestled into camp and even if you do have that clean camp and you've hung your food and you've done the right things obviously people can relate to that even not in grizzly country when guys are hunting solo especially new in any sort of backcountry setting that's when it gets tough mentally um so i think that's when even though maybe it isn't the, the largest likelihood of a true bear encounter that's potentially the largest thing to be aware of from a mindset perspective going into the hunt is how are you going to deal with that, that moment when you're truly solo and alone and dark and hearing something and are you able to stay in it right at that point? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And, um, just come to the fact that like, know that that's like the least likely, you know, out of the scenarios to run into a bear, have the bear come in, take a couple Tylenol PMs and really go out get some good sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Know. Tylenol PM earplugs, like 
there's something to be said of uh, ignorance is bliss, right? Like some guys want to hear what's out there. And then sometimes it's better that you just flat out don't hear anything out there and let your mind run and tell you stories. Download a book, a couple books, and then have it just playing on your phone. Like, no, speak like the speaker's not putting in earbuds or whatever, but yeah. let it just play loud. So there's that noise that, you know, might be a bit of a deterrent. I know people that do that. Yeah, that's a good one. Go. Cool. Uh, switching gears completely, Tyler, another question slash topic, uh, came up that I thought would be fun to have you weigh in on while we have you. And basically this guy is trying to plan his approach for hunting overlapping seasons or overlapping tags. And so he's newer to hunting out of state. He's a Utah resident. So he's used to over the counter archery, uh, elk and deer in Utah, but he also has an out-of-state archery elk tag. And so those are overlapping in September, these three opportunities. Uh, one is this out-of-state archery elk tag, and then the two opportunities, uh, one each for deer and elk in-state. And uh, so he's asking just for some feedback, because again, there's a different, many, many different ways to make these decisions. But I thought he brought up some good questions on how should I plan those hunts? Like, should I set specific dates to do each hunt regardless of its success? Meaning, all right, I'm going to set aside these weekends or this week to do this hunt. No matter what happens, I have these other dates to do this hunt, blah, 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 blah. Should he read and react as the season goes along and maybe bounce around based on what he's seen, what he's experiencing? Should he do things like hunt in one area early, but then know that potentially another area is better later kind of peak rut in September, yada, yada, yada. So again, we can't answer all those questions for him and for his scenario, but I want to talk to you about, because there's been many times Tyler, where you've like, all right, I have these three or four tags and I could be in two or three different States and these are overlapping and I have a wife and I have work and all that stuff. So just kind of personally, how do you make some of those decisions and then plan your season? Do you do a lot of the analytical pre-planning, setting hard dates? Do you kind of fly by the seat of your pants? Talk us through pros and cons, things like that. Well, I think that goes back to the first year that I, I really stumbled on this. I had, I went to Kodiak in August and then I'd drawn a Utah and a Nevada August tag. <laughs> so I tried to do basically all three, just back to back to back. And that's where I like really learned that that is for me with, you know, family work, everything that's super inefficient and just like way too much all at once. So that's where I really, now I, I try to build in where I have a week hunt and then two weeks at home. And I try to, you know, I, I try to keep that spacing. So week hunting, two weeks at home, week hunting, two weeks at home. And I ride at three hunches usually um, kind of where I land with that. And so I don't, know what his time looks like from work and stuff but uh, you know if you can do it that way where you can kind of keep them spaced out where you know you might not quite hit the peak of the rut on one end um but then you're catching it you know pick up in you know one of your tags then you know try to do it that way i, I definitely am like anti trying to hunt um multiple states like back to back now i think for me it just it you know, maybe, it, you know, I was just a complete failure that year. And it's like, you know, the guy <laughs> that goes and changes his bow or whatever after that, you know, for me, that's, that was my change 
you know, I also did change my bow too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think just trying to have that space in there, it just makes it so much easier for, you know, especially now with two kids, like come home and, um, you know, give my wife a little bit of a break and, and not make it such a big long stretch. Now I say that and I'm going to be gone for three to four weeks in a stretch in Alaska now this year. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. (laughs) Three to four weeks and then home and then back for a few weeks again. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't know. Definitely space out if you can. Yeah. But like, so yeah, a good example of that would be if we oversimplify things and say, all right, I have two weeks to hunt in September. Uh, maybe you don't pick the middle two weeks and hunt one state for a week and then turn around and hunt the other state the next week and kind of hit that called the second and third week of September. Maybe you stretch those out and you hunt a little bit earlier in September and a little bit late in September. Maybe that's not as ideal for what you think based off of rut or moon phase or whatever, but it gives you that break in between um, would be like an example of kind of what your strategy would be. Yeah, I, that, that's nailed it on the head for me. That's what it is. I, you know, I'll hunt those early season elk and then, you know, get that kind of a gap in there and then hunt them pretty late. And, you know, I, I probably miss a lot where people are hunting the middle of September. Um, but I don't run into as many people and, you know, there, there's always that part of it too. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I've, um, I feel similar for sure. Um, you know, in the last handful of years, hunting more each year and more out of state and having more opportunities and being careful, not only what I say yes to, um, cause it's hard to say no to any hunting opportunity. Um, but also managing at the end of the day, what do you enjoy? So like, you, yeah, I mean, you can go kill yourself and bounce from one hunt to another hunt to another hunt back to back and move States and, it's still hunting and it's still great, but maybe you do get burnt out, honestly, right? Like maybe the end of three weeks straight, you're like, man, I really wish I would have stretched those three weeks of hunting out over six to eight weeks because I would actually would have enjoyed the entire process more and been able to rest and recoup and see family and do all that stuff. So yeah, I think, and we've touched on this, but just to call it out, because this guy was asking those questions on like, being super methodical on timing rut activity or calling receptiveness or moon phases or holiday hunting pressure. And you can geek out on planning your trips on all those things. But at the end of the day, as we just said, maybe you hunt something that's quote unquote less optimal, uh, but it allows you to have a more enjoyable time, right. And actually make the most of your personal satisfaction um, with the hunting opportunity, even though it maybe isn't the best week to be out in the woods, if that makes sense. Exactly. hundred percent that, yeah, I don't know how, like, as far as not having that quote unquote, like perfect exact day, but just doing it, you know, based off of what is perfect for you and your, you know, your schedule with your family and everything. And uh, I mean, to me, that's way, you just get way more enjoyment out of that than trying to just yeah pile it all in on top of each other and then you're running from one to the other and one state yeah. going to the other state and you know especially if you start out unsuccessful in hunt it's kind of nice to have that reset come mm-hmm. back 
you know, shoot your bow, whatever it is, your rifle, kind of figure things out and then get back out um, where you're just going from start. If you start out rough and then going right to another hunt, um, it kind of seems to multiply, or at least for me, it mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Yeah. And as I think about that, I mean, that's been, I, I haven't thought about it. Uh, I guess I do this subconsciously is what I'm saying in my planning, but even looking at how my fall shaping up already uh, with the mountain goat hunt, as you know, Tyler, I was like pushing to try and get some earlier dates and opportunities than what I thought may originally be available. Cause it was pushing me so close to being gone for 10 days in Alaska hunting mountain goats to either going straight to Idaho or going home for like two days and then going to Idaho for a week. Those were running up against each other and then moving the mountain goat hunt a bit earlier, which I was thankful to do also push me closer to then when I'm normally hunting elk with my bow in September. So I had to work with my other buddy and be like, Hey, can we hunt a little bit earlier this year? Cause now I have this mountain goat and I'm, I've been living that, I guess, of trying to be like, all right, if I'm going to be here hunting elk and then up in Alaska hunting mountain goat, and then in Idaho hunting elk again, like how do I give myself five to seven days between those and not have them stacked on each other? Cause for a while there, that's the way it was looking. And I knew that's not, not how I wanted to do it. Yeah. It's tough. The guys that can do it, I definitely applaud them. Like, you know, when the born and raised guys go on their big, long, you know, jaunts across the country for 30 days i just blows my mind because i would just be done like yeah yeah. i don't know um this one's out of left field tyler uh and i'm gonna leave out some uh specific units and things like that that are mentioned here though some of these opportunities people can figure out in general what we're talking about there's at least a at least a few different opportunities in a few different states that I know of Tyler that have uh, rifle elk hunts in September and even mid-September um, that aren't necessarily too hard to get. And so that sounds like a dream, right? Like screaming bulls with my rifle in September. Heck yeah. But this guy wrote in and he was talking about some specific uh, hunting units. And again, I'll leave those out, but he's saying, He's hearing from guys, it's it's not worth it. The country's too big and it's too rugged and there's too much pressure and there's too few animals and blah, 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 blah. And I know we're speaking in like massive generalities here, but from a super high level, Tyler, those opportunities that exist, do you feel like they are kind of quote unquote too good to be true? Meaning there's a reason they're letting you have a rifle in September and it's not, you know, like a, a crazy insane draw. Maybe it is just really a tough or difficult hunt because the animals aren't there. Do you, have you looked into any of those opportunities that you would weigh in again without getting too specific on uh, what that opportunity is here? Cause there's, there's few of them, several States. There is. You're, you're in fact correct there. And I, I don't think it's like any kind of secret or whatever. And I have um, spent time in those places. And I will say like of those hunts um, that are like that, like that's the hunt I would do. And I would book an outfitter. Like for me, because it's September, it's hot. You're a giant country. Like you are in big, big country, country and you are miles and miles and miles. There's no, like I was just talking to someone about this at sheep show. There's not like 
you could have a team of like five of the, you know, the most solid linebackers, you know, that can pack forever and still really question where you'd kill an elk in a lot of those places because, yeah, just without horses, it just, it almost makes them, I won't say impossible. It just, it, it almost makes them irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, that can go down a whole rat hole stuff or whatever and ethics, whatever. But for me, it's dude, it just, and the experience too of like getting to hunt that country on horses and have a rifle in your hand, it is pretty darn neat. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It, and, you know, they, it is very, a lot of the places that I've been anyway, the population densities are extremely low and you know, the, you could go on and on about that, but that's like a, a well-known thing. Um, and those outfitters are going to give you a leg up. I didn't like think I'd be pitching outfitters when you first start saying that, but I mean, yeah, for <laughs> me, that's probably one of the hunts like I've actually been looking into and I'm probably going to go with an outfitter at some point in my life. Um, you know, before 10 years ago, if you would ask me, oh, I'll never go, you know, but it, you know, that's definitely something like they're out there, but I would find some good outfits and, uh, I would, I would probably just, and they're not, they're super reasonable. Like when you start talking about like going to Alaska and doing, having these do it yourself hunts, you know, they're not too far off expense wise from that. So, um, it's just a cool experience, like jump on some horses and go, you know, into some big country, but, um, and have a rifle in your hand. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. That's a great way to put it. I think, um, I think the guy I would caution, and I don't know if this is where he's coming from, but I could see how some guys have maybe hunted September for elk for a few years with their bow. And then they hear, Oh, wait a second. Like there's this opportunity where I could do that with a rifle. And then they're thinking back to their experience that they've had with their bow and thinking, oh man, in this scenario, if I would have had my rifle, it would have been a done deal. And in this scenario, it would have been so easy. And I really, maybe I want my first elk and it hasn't happened in two or three or four years with my bow. But if, man, if I had a rifle in September, oh dude, be game over. Right. But they're not realizing that this hunting opportunity. And again, I'm trying not to throw out units and things, but like that he's talking about in this scenario, for example, would be completely massively different than anything he's ever done before. And so it's not archery September with a rifle, maybe what guys think. It's actually something vastly, completely different because of the country, because of the animal density, et cetera. So that, that would be my caution on like where guys are thinking about this without really realizing what they're getting into. And I fully agree, Tyler, like it's something I'd like to do someday, uh, primarily because of the experience, not just because of the opportunity to have a rifle in my hand in September, but because that country and the vastness and the difficulty and hunting off horses and all that stuff, you just have to realize what it is and not compare it to maybe something you've done. I think it's just like that with a rifle. Yeah. It's definitely a good way to put it. Like it's not hunting your back 40, you know, or whatever behind a private ranch where elk or not even private, but like just elk densities in general are just way different. Like that pendulum is, they're not even in the same ballpark. Like that's, you know, probably a good way to put it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's some good questions. I'm glad to have you weigh in on again. We'll be, uh, chatting more with you on the podcast this year i'm sure i'm always curious usually when we're 
talking Tyler, you're like up to something, whether it's working on a rifle, trying something out, planning, like what's, what's been occupying your mind the last week or two as you uh, prepare for quite a wild hunting season here in 2022. Oh man. Um, what's been on my mind? Well, I just came back from sheep show and, um, you know, all, all I want to do is figure out a way to weasel my way into another sheep hunt. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like for like gear stuff, I've been, um, nerding out big time on like what, what caliber, what gun, how am I going to set up for guiding the two different species in Alaska? So having a gun that I could take sheep guiding, that's pretty light, but then also take, you know, and feel comfortable, you know, if I got to shoot a grizzly bear or whatever. Right. And then also for goats, like, and then what, what does that bullet look like? I'm, you know, what's going to be a really good bullet for, um, both those animals and stuff. And anyways, that's kind of what I've been nerding out on. Um, mm-hmm. I've really gotten into, um, as you know, shooting off these chassis guns and shooting off a tripod and, and doing that, like just practicing shooting in different positions. And, um, you know, it's funny. I didn't get a ton of time doing it with the gun I ended up shooting my sheep with, but, um, I ended up shooting that sheep off a tripod. Like it was pretty funny, like having that as an option, like completely like how I want to set things up. And I've thought of the multiple scenarios where I've seen people take shots at stuff at game and position. And now as you know, being in that guide position where, you know, maybe it, it can be something I can set down and have somebody set up and comfortable extremely quick is also something I've been kind of thinking about. So yeah, I'm kind of landing on a chassis gun. <laughs> Mm-hmm. as you probably imagine and, and something that yeah i can um have that where it attaches a tripod and basically eliminate something in my pack you know kind of lighten things up too and might not even run a bipod next year yeah so yeah i've uh, been experimenting with uh a lot of similar things i literally have three tripods sitting right here in my office next to me and um yeah that's a more planned there uh, to kind of talk about that on the podcast and maybe some articles and stuff like that. But between tripods and style tripods and style heads and attachment methods and like using Arca versus Spartan versus, you know, Picatinny and how that all plays out. And, you know, there's no doubt like you can increase stability in a tripod for shooting, but that comes at the expense of some weight. And like, where is that fine point of like going on a hunt? Like, the goat hunt, for example, it's like, you're trying to minimize weight, but at the same time, like you don't want to make too many compromises on the stability of a tripod if you're going to actually want to use one for shooting. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot of moving like parts and pieces in my head on those topics that I've been playing with for sure. So that's a fun, yeah. fun topic then, to chat about. Yeah. And then, yeah, this could open a whole can, but you know, you're going to be in country where it's going to be nice to have a gun that you know, kind of collapses down a bit and you're not getting hung up on the brush as much. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's in the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then same, like you said on bullet, uh, you know, it's always so um, interesting with goats in particular to hear all the different stories about how tough they are. And then some guys are like, yeah, they're tough, but they're also not, you know, they're slab sided. So like they have good bone structure, uh, but some people hear, oh, goats are tough, so I need a super tough bullet. But then 
they shoot like a super, super tough, like mono, for example. And um, they're saying it's the opposite. Like you want some expansion in there and not just have something that's only about penetration. And obviously anytime you talk about bullets, there's schools of thought, but uh, all that being said, going on a hunt like this and being my first guided hunt like that. And it definitely has me rethinking like, all right, for goats specifically knowing the terrain that they're in and how they can just tumble and fall. And you're trying to anchor them. Like what is the best bullet? What should I be shooting? Um, and of course it it depends who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That probably you could have 18 podcasts and not even you know, scratch the surface, but yeah, having, having that animal with a, you know, pretty thin thoracic cavity and, um, you know, like you're saying, good bone structure, but thin thoracic cavity, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of nice to have something that might expand pretty darn quick. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been loving those models, but I could definitely see like, if you're trying to plant a goat up on a cliff where he doesn't, pile off another side or something and and you hit them with you know maybe my experience with some of these models is you know they you know they die but they you you hit them they don't even look like they're hit they walk a little bit and then they fall over dead where you know maybe some other quicker expanding bullet might plant them you know right where they're at Mm -hmm. i definitely see what you're going there Mm -hmm. well what complicates this whole thing is uh the market right now meaning i can't just go out and be like oh yeah i want you know i want these 10 different bullets right now and i want to try them and like shoot them and see how they live and see how because this stuff's just freaking hard to get man so it only complicates things further um i use those federal terminal ascents on kodiak uh this past fall and that's a bullet i'd be super interested to shoot for my goat, but it's like, I can't get them. Like I even have a guy who works for federal who's trying to help me and I still can't get them, you know? Uh, so yeah. even with a quote unquote connection, it doesn't mean I can get them. Uh, and that's just one of many, you know, that I'd love to load more and play with. So that's uh, definitely ongoing for me. You're just going to stick with the old uh, full metal jackets, pull them out of a tin can from World War II. And <laughs> do how old I could do that with a 30 out six, right? Like just get some yeah. surplus, just boom. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> old Woodstock. And <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Glad you uh, were able to hop on here today. Uh, again, I'm sure we'll be doing this more this year. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we'll definitely talk all things goats and Alaska. I don't know, whatever else sneaks in there. Sheep and everything else. Yeah.